All right, all right. So this episode of Jack today is just a little bit different than the norm. Uh, we're joined by a pretty awesome doc who recently had a bit of viral fame. Um, those listening should probably hop over to your YouTube channel, which is just a couple dudes with a K podcast, in order to see the clip itself. Um, it's pretty hilarious. Um, Brian Williams has this kind of deadpan reaction to what he's saying, and it just makes it priceless. Uh, from this interview, it spawned our t-shirt drive, which was our How to Rona t-shirts, and all these proceeds went to St. Jude's to honor a colleague of mine whose kiddo bravely fought off what was supposed to be a terminal uh, form of brain cancer at less than six months of age. She is now home and cancer-free, and we're excited to send the proceeds over to St. Jude's uh, any day now. Her name is Amani, and her father will also be joining us on a future date. Without further ado, here's our guest clip from MSNBC. Another uh, part of the Trump interview with Jonathan Swan of Axios, I came prepared to play for you and our audience will talk about it on the other side. You know, there are those that say you can test too much. You do know that. Who says that? Oh, just read the manuals, read the books, manuals. read the what books, manuals? read the books, what books? Doctor, do they give you the manuals? Do you have the manuals? And is anyone in your community complaining of the burden of too much testing? So I'm glad you asked. I watched that interview just a little bit ago, and I actually got an advanced copy of the manual. Um, it's called How to Rona by Science. Um, and if you open it and you skip past the demon semen and the hydroxychloroquine, it's you get to testing under the T's. Uh, first, you see the take no responsibility, uh, and then you say, uh, if you don't test, maybe they'll just forget about it. Um, that's the manual, as far as I can tell. Uh, no, nobody's complaining about too many tests, Brian. We don't have enough tests. That's why we are where we are. Somebody came to play tonight. Hey, on the topic of schools, I know they are starting to reopen in Indiana. How do you feel about it? And as an Indianan, what are you satisfied that protocols are being followed. No, I'm not satisfied with anything. Um, you know, over the last months, uh, other than working in the emergency department, basically my life has been ER doc, whack-a-mole with internet trolls, and trying to help my friends and family navigate through this illness. And I get phone calls and texts every day. What do I do? Do I send my kid? My mom's sick, should I go? Nobody really knows. Um, our school system is opening next week um, as we are the, uh, the most positive test rate uh, in the, the state of Indiana. And um, from what I can tell, there just was an email sent out today. Uh, no masks are gonna be uh, recommended in class so long as they're facing forward and three feet apart. So they'll sit there for 45 minutes and breathe their teenager breath all over each other. So I don't expect this to be a terribly long school year. I, I hope I'm wrong, um, but not optimistic. All right, hello, I'm uh, Dr. Brandon Lawrence. I'm one of the uh, hosts for Jacked, Just a Couple Dudes podcast today, and I'm joined today with Frank. Hey everybody, Frank the Third MP is here. And today we're joined by a special guest, Dr. Steve Sample. Hey guys. So uh, one of the pillars of our podcast is just highlighting good men and, and sometimes women in our community, uh, just so they're Kind of more highlighted as uh, as role models, and we we take them as our role models of the week, essentially, because we we found that really society's putting this kind of onus on athletes and celebrities and politicians that really don't have business being in that position. They're usually not good enough, and we're finding that people 
of the younger age need these actual positive role models uh, in the community to actually look up to and not some of these people that make, you know, poor decisions in their social life compared to what they're projected as. So in comes Dr. Steve Sample, Air Force vet, family man, outspoken emergency medicine doctor. Um, one of the things that I wanted to highlight is, is you wouldn't really expect it, but us as, as providers, uh, as physicians, nurse practitioners like Frank, we don't really have a voice often. We're usually you know, behind administration or policies, and we, we usually don't have much of a, an outspoken voice to rally behind. And you've kind of become that for us. You have this kind of loud, bold voice, and you've been kind of a voice of reason through this pandemic. And, and for that, I, we just want to thank you. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Hey, man, you've inspired me. I'm an Air Force vet. Uh, I didn't have any combat or anything. I wish I deployed, but I'm trying to join again because I have eight years in, so I need 12 more to retire. But in the Air Guard or Reserve as a nurse or nurse practitioner, but I just love sure. veterans, and that's a big message. So being an Air Force vet, I instantly like connect with you because yeah. Yeah, of that. Yeah, I never thought I was going to be in the military. I certainly wasn't a military type growing up. Uh, when I went to my 10-year high school reunion, everybody flipped the hell out. They were like, samples of doctor and a military guy? They were like, what is going on? I'm like, I know. I don't have any idea. <laughs> so the chips fell because I was a non-traditional medical student. I had two kids when I started med school, so it was a little different. Uh, so, so money got super scary for us uh, back then. We were just kids ourselves. So, so did you go Air Force first and then, and then yeah, school? No, so quick back, just my quick backstory. Um, I went to Indiana University as a uh, freshman in college back in the day. Both of my daughters, well, my youngest daughter is there now. My oldest just graduated there. Um, when I was in high school, I played football for a couple of years, but I sucked at it completely. Um, and uh, I was actually like one of those singing guys. I was on stage doing music theater and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> six foot five and 220 pounds, you know, just gangly and awkward as heck. But uh, the... Uh, when I went to IU, um, I knew I was a pretty good singer when I was at, in high school, but when I went to IU, um, I found out that even at one of the best music schools in the country, I was actually still a pretty good singer. Um, and I started singing up there and uh, I decided that at that time, country music was where it was at down here. I guess it still sort of is. Uh, so I decided that I was gonna drop out of school and move to Nashville, Tennessee to be the second coming of Garth Brooks. Uh, I used oh. to have the, the, yeah, man, I had the boots, the hat, the big belt buckle, I had all that stuff. Um, and uh, I did. I dropped out of school uh, after my freshman year. I stayed in Bloomington, Indiana and just kind of screwed around for a year and kept singing and and uh, I worked at a sorority house as the assistant chef, which was <laughs> awesome, <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, it was pretty sweet. Uh, but then I moved home to uh, to save up some money the next summer to live with my folks. I was waiting some tables and this girl that I had went to high school named Toby Vick uh, walked in looking for a summer job. She was home from nursing school and um, I got her hired. I got myself to be her trainer and I called my shot kind of like Babe Ruth, you know, and, and I, uh, I, I did that. So she went back to nursing school. I went to Nashville with my best friend um, and I spent all of my free time in Nashville driving back and forth to Evansville, Indiana to see her in college instead of hitting writer's nights and hitting all the open mics. And so we did it the old-fashioned way. We got knocked up, we got pregnant, then I went to college. <laughs> or we got, not, I should say knocked up, got married, and then went to college. Well, it's funny uh, you say that. So um, me and my wife did long distance as well during residency, and uh, as we got engaged, got knocked up, fast-forwarded the marriage as well. So almost Super. Yeah, exactly. Exactly the same. Yeah, so, she was uh, 
my oldest daughter Haley was born the day we had our church reserved uh, for our wedding. So, oh. so tell the truth. Were yeah. you more were you more Garth or Billy Ray? No, I was more Garth. I was kind of the wild man with the mic. I didn't have, I had a little bit of a mullet. It came down to like here, uh, you know, yeah. yeah, it came down to there, but uh, I was more the grab the mic and run around like a Yahoo on the stage. So. Man, you're quite the guy. Like, uh, <laughs> I guess. Like, there's not many, there's, there's only one of you. I could tell you that, right? There's only <laughs> one of you, man. <laughs> My wife would say that that's a good thing for sure. Singing football yeah. player, Air Force vet, doctor. No, take football player out, man. That was just a huge What, girls what did you play? What did you play, no, though? I'm, I played football for 10 minutes, like my freshman and sophomore year of high school. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, you're still yeah, decent, no, right? Does, six no. five. No? Oh, no, 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 no. no, no. Was, at, the time, I was, at the time, I was six foot two and 160 pounds, and they put me on the defensive line, so I just got run over. <laughs> yeah. Is that where your back pain came from? Was it from that? <laughs> probably. Is that probably. Where... <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Funny, man. No, so, definitely a unique path through medicine, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, obviously one of the reasons we want to bring you here is to talk about this this kind of uh, role you've undertaken during the pandemic and you've been somehow got thrust into the the, the uh, limelight here on, was it MSNBC and what else were on C is it CNN? Uh, I was on CNN a couple of times. Yeah, uh, so let's- and, uh, But I've been kind of a semi-regular with Brian Williams. Yeah, I love it. MSNBC. So bring, yeah. us, bring us through to kind of what brought you to that point because I remember in our in our discussions you, you got to you sent this post out to a bunch of docs that we know and it was like holy shit guys i'm going on msnbc <laughs> yeah. tonight and this is way out of my wheelhouse what the fuck do i do that was about it for sure <laughs> yeah man um so i i am on twitter um and somehow i've amassed like a little mini following there i don't know what is considered good but I think I've got a little over 13,000 people who follow me on Twitter. Uh, it actually all started after I had a post that went viral a year or so ago about mental health and war. It was when we were, when all that shit was going down with Iran and we thought we were tiptoeing against the, against the line of war again. And it just made me start thinking about, you know, deployments and, and stuff like that. Um, and Katie Tour, uh, who is a daytime correspondent on there or a host, uh, she had somebody had retweeted or something where she had said, "I'm opening up my, I'm opening up my DMs to healthcare providers. Um, I'm interested in your story." Um, and that was kind of right at the top of when New York was starting to really burn. Um, and so I just sent her a little message and I said, "Hey, you know, I said I'm sure you're getting all these horror stories from New York physicians and and uh, and stuff." I said, "Here's the perspective of what it feels like to be kind of in the middle of the country. We're not seeing any of this yet." And we're just sort of hunkered down and waiting and watching the world burn around us. You know, Italy was going down mm -hmm. um, and New York was going down and we were just like, shit, this yeah. is coming for us. Yeah. And that intrigued her. And we messaged back and forth a couple of times and she had me on like two or three days later. Um, I was on with her the following week and Brian Williams was co-hosting. Um, and I guess he liked me and his producer called me the next day and asked me to come on. So. I think it's funny yeah. that he, he likes you and picked you out with the way he just kind of is like deadpan when you when you tell jokes. Oh, him. yeah. Yeah. He's he's freaking he's funny, man. He's hard to talk to a little bit because he's so dry. He's so dry. And I'm not dry at all. I'm very animated and this and that. And when you're talking to someone who is so dry, it is it makes me very aware of how animated I am. So I am just desperately trying to not move, keep my head still, you know, and try to be somewhat professional. Um, and uh but it's fun. It's, it's actually not fun at all until the minute that I, that I finish up. Like I, I spend error. 
<laughs> when I wake up the morning of my appearances, like I, sh I shoot out of bed with my eyes wide, you know, and I'm like, oh shit, I gotta be on TV today. And I pace and I pace, I have complete really. stage fright. Yeah, totally, man. You put me with a band in the day and I was fine. You made me sing by myself in church and I freak out. Um, so, um, so, so yeah, so I panic right up until the moment, you know, and I'm writing and I've, I've got all these little post-it note, post notes stuck all over my computer, trying to remember what I wanna say. And then as soon as I come on with this producers, my mind completely goes blank. Uh, I almost blacked out. I got literally almost blacked out a couple of times. The first what couple happened? of times when they, oh, oh. when they came, no, when they came to air, I was like full on vagal man. Like I was oh, like, man. shit, don't pass out. And I was like, hi, man. You know. So, uh, but it, it's but when you first when you finish, it's like land. It's like you know live TV with like a guy I've been watching since I was a little kid. Um, it's like you went skydiving and your shoot almost didn't open, but then you live and you're like, Whoa! and you're ready and you're kind of ready to do it again. Uh, yeah. So yeah awesome so that brings us then to the axios interview where you you had a little bit of a viral <laughs> a viral uh, yeah. outbreak here with your video um yeah take us through I, i'm gonna play so for the podcast i'm gonna play your little clip at the beginning of it okay um mm -hmm. so people listening will be familiar if they if they missed it somehow so take us through okay. kind of you watching the axios interview and then coming up with this kind of hilarious idea for the the how to rona <laughs> uh textbook sure all right. Yeah. So I had seen it and, and I email back and forth with their producers during the daytime, uh, like in the last few hours before the show, I think when the writers are kind of putting their script together and things like that, um, they don't give me the questions at all, which sucks. Uh, the CNN, CNN actually sends you at least the shows that I, that I was on, send you the exact transcript. So I know what questions are coming. And so it's so much more relaxing because you can prepare what you're going to say. Yeah. But I have like with Brian, I just sort of have a general direction that he may go and a couple of times he has completely went left and i was not prepared and i was just winging it but on this one um they told me that he may he may broach the subject of the actual interview um and i was in my panic mode but my wife was in there and she was like what are you doing i'm like ah. I was like, I don't know, I have an idea. And so I taped it to the front of a book and she was like, are you going to use a prop? And I was like, I don't think so. I was like, but I just have this idea. And then once I got on in my panic, I was like, there's no way I'm doing this. I don't have the guts to do it. I don't have the balls to do it. No, no way. But then if you watch, if you watch the transition, you can watch my face. Like he, it was like he and I planned it. He had no idea that that was coming at all. That, that, that came together literally That's wild. 10 minutes before airtime. Um, and, but he feeds me, he says, doctor, what do you think? You got a manual? And I was like, oh shit, I'm running away. I was like, holy crap. So, so yeah. Um, so well, you I really clearly, you clearly came to play, right? Yeah. 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 My <laughs> kids are freaked out because I guess that video has been seen over a million times on TikTok. Yeah, it's uh, so good. <laughs> we like uh, that. we yeah. made the shirts. They came in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, no, that was, it was super funny. And I, I, I got off with them. You know, you can't really, it's hard to find the, um, they post afterwards. They only, each show is only allowed to post X amount of clips to social media. They usually do two from their show. Um, and so you don't get to see my whole interview. The whole interview was actually, it was actually pretty good and it was kind of juicy and meaty, but that was the, that was the, uh, 
of course the take home that they wanted from that that shit went everywhere uh awesome. so yeah it was it was funny i i caught some shit at the hospital for it um but oh, really? uh like yeah good? But, oh, i mean the only so, thing you said is we need to test more than the, there was nothing really controversial uh, it was the whole so i i work in a catholic facility uh-huh. uh owned owned by the literal nuns and uh i said the words demon semen oh yeah uh, in that <laughs> yeah who oh, hasn't said that in the last month that, i mean that's not in the bible Where is that yeah, i mean that was that uh oh. you know that weird old doctor that weirdo doctor from texas that was all over the news and yep. i guess the when they talked to me they weren't aware that i wasn't just pulling demon semen out of my ass uh you know i didn't just, know about they, no they just thought i just said demon semen so oh. so i got a little talking they, they don't I think that they would be happy for me to go away um, <laughs> with my appearance because I, you know, I, I have, I deliberately, there are times when I go on because in my personal life and in my online life, I am overtly political. Like I am loud, outspoken and this and that. But whenever I have been interviewed for anything ever, um, I always find myself trying to, like I hear both sides of the argument at the same time. Um, and I try to split that I try to split that ravine so that I can, I'm actually speaking to everybody and not just to the choir. Because on MSNBC, I'm, I'm likely speaking to my political choir, you know, but uh, some of that stuff gets shared around. But uh, if I, you know, I'm in the reddest of the red counties of the red state. And, and uh, so if I say anything that kind of is an open disagreement with, you know, federal policy or the pros, they don't, they don't love that around here. But so I think everybody's over it. You know, everybody wants. Yeah. Under T, though, it says take no responsibility, so. Right, I know. Right? Yeah, so I'm assuming that they would like this to go away. They, they've they liked some of them. When it sticks straight to the coronavirus, they like it. Yeah. Uh, Brian steered me a little political a couple of times. I did that one jackass move. Um, and I was in a, they did a, a profile piece for me on me for the Indianapolis Monthly early on in this. And I, being media completely naive, I did not realize that it was going to be a Q&A. So it was kind of like this. It was just me and a reporter talking on the phone. Um, mm. and I had done a local profile piece where they basically just told a little bit of my story and I put a couple of quotes in there. But this came out as, this came out as my, the words that came out of my mouth. So the last word of the article was the word fuck. And my, <laughs> my, my uh, again, the hospital, not super thrilled. They like, think of the nuns, think of the nuns, you know? But I just didn't realize it so it was just a real chill well, conversation we don't he have just did it as a q and a listening to our podcast yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably, not. Not. Probably, yeah, probably not. not yeah uh yeah so your your twitter is you know it's pretty an entertaining place to exist on a night shift so last night i was kind of perusing i was like oh this is some great stuff um yeah, yeah i just love how you're just not not at all afraid to speak <laughs> speak your mind i know i can't quite figure no, out what president you're voting for though like i i, I don't oh, know is it challenging <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Biden wasn't my Biden wasn't my eighth pick, but I would crawl over broken glass naked <laughs> and swim through a pool of alcohol to vote for him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, given the fact that I would vote for a literal steaming pile of shit before I would pull the lever for Trump, like Biden's a plus, man. And he's got yeah. Kamala. So. And I think that's it's really funny because coming from your Air Force, it's usually more of a conservative background. Physicians often sure. are more conservative. I, I think it's kind of kind of a funny juxtaposition of of where you're at. Yeah, you know, I was, I used to be a Republican, uh, I thought. I didn't really give politics a whole lot of thought, um, even up through my military. I think I started becoming aware of politics in my military service, uh, probably just because Fox News was on in every break room, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, but I would have considered myself 
socially liberal, fiscally conservative, whatever the hell that means. Because I, I think that that's just some bullshit that people yeah. say anymore. Yeah. And I used to say it. Liberal uh, programs without the fiscal stuff. Well, that's right. That, that's, that's exactly right. And I, but I never really gave it much more thought than that. Um, but once I came out of the military and practiced real emergency medicine, and I see the real fundamental social issues that exist, because you're shielded in military medicine, right? Everybody got insurance. Everybody got free drugs. Yeah. Everybody, I mean, it's they a live. Special population. They, well, yeah, and they, and they you have live no in the, malpractice. Like, sure, they, you live in a completely socialist utopia in the military, mm -hmm. and it's the same people screaming against universal health care for, uh, <laughs> you know, for everybody else. But yeah. the only country in the world that doesn't have it, basically, the only developed yeah. country. Like, I'm really glad we stand out. <laughs> right. But. Yeah, I, I don't know that there's a real easy solution for healthcare and, and woes because I think that you're going to have to take a loss somewhere everywhere you go. And, yeah. and so really just going forward from the time I separated and started thinking outside of the group think, though I guess it's still group think around here, but uh, but I, I think I just, when I can't figure out what the right answer is, I just like to err on the side of policy that hurts the fewest people, you know, that lifts people up and doesn't tamp them down. So uh, it helped when I gave up. I, and frankly, I, I hate to say it because my whole family's religious, but me coming out of the closet as an atheist probably made me a better person than I have ever been, frankly. You know, and that's just my journey. Uh, certainly my wife is a, is a devout Christian uh, who I'm sure prays for me all the time, um, but she uses her religion for good. So I don't press it. We don't fight about religion. We don't discuss it much, but you know, uh, in general, but uh, she uses it to help people and lift people up. So I'm, I'm not going to fight that. Uh, but there's just a lot of lot of oppression out there these days with God as the as the chief driver of that. Well, these days or since the well, dawn of time? In general, since the dawn of religion, really. <laughs> yeah, right? since I mean, the dawn of religion. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's For much sure. more public yeah. now, though, with, with the spectacle that we see with one of the political parties. Yeah. Well, it sure is, right? I mean, because when I take those political you know, I sat down and did like an hour long political sensibilities test and I answered every question to the best of my ability. Um, and I came out literally a hair left of center in a hair libertarian of authoritarian, I guess, but I'm as center as you can get. But now in today's world, all of a sudden I'm like this liberal snowflake, right? Like I'm getting yelled at. And I was like, wait a minute, we're not even doing conservative shit. Like right now, like, you know, except yeah. for like hating on, hating on people. We're so, both similar. We're both kind of, well, at least I'm just kind of left of center. You know, Frank's kind of center, center. I don't really get a feeling of where Eric is. He's our third co-host. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm really progressive. <laughs> so like, I just don't like being labeled. I hate being called something. I'm an independent. Just don't yeah. call me something. I had yeah. like, I don't know. I, I was that person that, what'd you say? You were socially Liberal, Social, and liberal fiscally conservative. conservative. Yeah, which sounds good, right? You're like, oh, I'm a win-win. I'm a win-winner. Yeah, I like I like gays and blacks, but I also like to save money. You know. Yeah, yeah. I have like, an emergency fund. I have an emergency fund, but I go to gay bars and hang out. Yeah. Right, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So it's weird. Yeah, it's a weird. Uh, and I, you know, and I landed in a super weird locale coming out of the military too, full time. But I landed in the middle of cornfields where there are very few atheists and liberals <laughs> you know they're now, out now there I do, we, we right. find each other sorry i do have a question though i was just curious mm -hmm. like just a quick thing of atheism versus agnostic like mm -hmm. does that mean any difference to you i was just wondering like mm -hmm. not knowing versus just saying nothing i've always i've always said that it, most agnostics are people who are probably atheists but it's just really hard to say in public 
company. So I use the word a lot just to kind of, because it, it, it kind of shocks people about me because they meet me, and I'm mm -hmm. super nice to them and I take good care of them and this and that. Um, and then when they find it out, I think it, it causes a little bit of cognitive dissonance there because they're like, wait a minute, Sample's a good dude. He don't believe in God? So I just say the word, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. you can never prove a negative. So, but I'm as, you know, I, I tend to think that everything ultimately would be scientifically provable, but, but I could be wrong, Follow but up. I don't think that, I don't think that if I'm wrong, I'm going to burn in a fiery pit for all eternity. So. Yeah. Where's this pit yeah. at? Where's yeah, that I don't, pit? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Where's the pearly gates at? Before yeah, I don't know. When you, there sneezes, do you just say nothing happens when you die instead of bless you or? <laughs> I mean, look, yeah. look, I live, I, I was raised in the church. I was raised around the language of the church and I speak it well, you know, and I find And so with my patients, some of my, some of my, uh, there's a there's a particularly like super devout Catholic guy at my work and he hears me and if a family asks me to pray with them I'll stop and bow my head and pray with them and I speak in the language when when they speak in the language of religion to me I can I can feed that back to them you know so I speak uh, a lot in terms of a, what is thought to be kind of a religious a religious word but I believe in it as a human being I talk about grace you know, uh, the, the idea of grace with my patients. Now, I don't think of it as a divine grace, but they don't have to know that. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, I'm certainly not trying to convert somebody to atheism when their loved one's on their deathbed. Uh, so I will, I will feed back to them whatever they need from me at that time. So I always make good money away from, uh-oh. What? Oh, You're sorry, sure. something kicked me. Oh, yeah, sorry. Some, it, it, uh, it just dropped my thing. I still going see. Away. There you go. Okay. Uh, I think the screen. I think the screen really saver tried to kick in. Point that even like your beliefs are are. Your, sorry, your patient care is bigger than what your beliefs are because I think it's a. I'm not religious either, but I kind of do the same thing as you. If you know, a family member wants to pray, yeah. I'll, I'll go along with it because it's uh, kind sure. of a sense of unity and trust, and you know, it's mm -hmm. the, the kind of trust building with the family and with the patient. I think that that's a, a really beautiful thing. Yeah. The word. The the. Uh... Yeah, the guy who is the guy, the, the one guy at work, he's uh, he gets super pissy with me when he hears me say stuff like that to patients and stuff when they're dying. And he says, I'm a hypocrite. And I'm like, look, man, I was like, it ain't about me. Like, yeah, my exactly. job is not, not about me. You know, mm -hmm. I'm for others, uh, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, it's just I will give them what they need when they need it. I think you that's know, such think a nice way to be because, uh, you know, religion and politics, all that stuff, it's, it's, a lot of it has to have empathy in it. When you have empathy and sure. you have more of a common ground, it's okay. I'm more spiritual. You know, I have my mm -hmm. own belief and I don't mm -hmm. know. Um, I was raised Catholic too, very hardcore. So mm -hmm. I, uh, but I will never go back to church and that's okay. Yeah. Um, but my best friend's super Christian, greatest guy in the world. You know, like it's, there's a lot of good things that come out of it too. So I think it's just being balanced, like you said. Center, I think center. so. I mean, I think it's just, I think it's just not believe what you, you can tell me the sky's purple. And so long as you're not hurting somebody with that belief, I don't care. You know, yeah. I, I mean, we can agree to disagree and, and I love to sit down and have religious discussions, but I don't seek them out, especially mm -hmm. with patients and, and other people. I don't try to alienate anybody. What, what drew you more from going conservative to, to more, I guess, left, you said, you know, considered liberal, I guess, or whatever uh, nowadays, like what drove you, drove you that way? I mean, I think I see, so my wife, um, and, and Brandon, you may not, may or may not have seen this uh, come across the line. So my wife 
well, I was changing when I came out of the military. I think I was evolving while I was in it and I was starting to kind of see things that I thought were bullshit. And I started to see through some of that, the propaganda that was on my TV all the time. Um, and so it's really kind of an evolution, you know, come, just like leaving Christianity to atheism is not something that I woke up one day and did. It took me years and then it took me time. I mean, I liken it to my gay friends coming out of the closet and really honestly where I am down here, it may be worse to people, you know, um, people freak the hell out when they find out that you don't believe in things. Uh, but I kind of moved over, you know, my wife almost died of cancer in 2013. Uh, she's a, she's a stage four, uh, melanoma survivor. She had her first, she had her first occurrence of melanoma when I was a brand new attending when I was still active duty, um, and had a wide local excision off of her chest and sentinel nodes and everything was negative. And at about the five year mark, she had a second lesion pop up on her right shoulder. Um, mm. and when they, pet, when they pet scanned her, it was all over her. She had multiple, like, I think she had like nine in her spine, a couple of ribs or collarbone, her, mm. her uh, humerus. And, you know, because of what I do, I, I got my, I put my head in the literature and I, I was really down. And so I became like a mini melanoma expert. Um, and I found a clinical trial that was ongoing for what is now Keytruda, and you'll see TV ads for it and stuff like that. It's one of the new immunomodulators. Um, and um, she, it's a monoclonal antibody actually. Um, and she was the last enrollee worldwide in that trial. I found that we actually went to, had to go to North Carolina from Indiana every three weeks for 14 months. Um, nobody closer could get us in the trial. Uh, when I found it, it was only three days from closing. We had this awesome research nurse at, at uh, UNC Chapel Hill who took pity on us and she consented us for the trial before we ever saw the doc um, or anything. And then it was a placebo trial. She got the drug um, and now she is fine. Wow. Like she's been no, she's been no evidence. I mean, she literally was in bed 23 out of 24 hours a day. She was on her max dose of pain meds because of all her bone tumors. She was on 250 mics an hour, or I'm sorry, 150 mics an hour fentanyl patch uh, with three milligrams of Dilaudid every four, sorry, four milligrams of Dilaudid every three hours on the clock. And that's an alarm in the middle of the night. You could not let her get behind. Um, and, um, and then instant release morphine on top of that, the liquid morphine. Uh, we had to keep her on oxygen when she slept and stuff. And we were ready for hospice. And then, so I had already sort of grieved her and was already making behind the scenes arrangements to move my folks in with us because my girls were still in school. Um, and then she was fine. Um, and I really, really started thinking about the healthcare disparities in America when she was sick, you know, because certainly my wife is special to me. She's special to my kids and she's special to, to our family, but y'all don't know her. If my wife had died five years ago, your life would have kept on chugging. It would have never touched you. Um, and I realized that she's only alive because I make a lot of money because I mean, we, we, she was out of network, uh, when we were out there. So we probably spent in, in 14 months, probably a hundred to 125 grand out of pocket, getting her to and from, uh, paying for 50% of every scan, 50% of every doctor visit, uh, and all that. And if I couldn't have done it, she was dead. That was it. She was mm -hmm. not going to survive the 14 months until it got FDA approved. And, and that's not fair. They have that connection. Was right. that? But and being lucky to have that connection, so just yeah, so, where you are in life had got you both of those things. Yeah, so I mean, I I did my connections just like anybody else would have. I got online and I started reading about the literature, and then I I emailed the Melanoma Foundation and I talked to a lady there and she emailed me. I emailed every oncologist in the country who was studying it, and I said, "My wife is forty, I've got two kids, 
help me, I can get her to you. So I've emailed everybody from Maine to UCLA um, and Chapel Hill's the one who came through for me. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was wild. It was wild. Yeah, so she's mean as ever. <laughs> um, so that is, so for, for the listeners that maybe aren't familiar, melanoma, you're never really out of the, out of the woods, right? You never right. know come back. So has that really impacted the way you've approached this um, pandemic? I don't know from the melanoma standpoint. You know, she's been off of treatment for several years, so I'm not so worried about her from that. But certainly we get, I, I get more scanxiety. They call it scanxiety, the anxiousness you get before you have to go for your, however often you're scheduled PET scans and things like that. And I get super anxious because I'm, I'm a little bit of a pessimist being an ER doc, being an ER doc. Yeah. Because I see everybody's complications. I don't see the success stories. I see the ones who have shit the bed and are dying, you know. And so my presumption is always this one's going to be the one, you know. And yeah. so it's always kind of a shock to me. Uh, th that is one thing emergency medicine has made me I, I, in modern politics. I have went from, I think, used to be an optimist to kind of a pessimist. My wife calls me the fun sucker. Uh, because I always find the, I always find the, the, you know, the negative thing that could happen or whatever. What about a realist? What about a realist? Yeah, maybe. Maybe, like, maybe. Realists, realists suck, man. We're not fun to be around. Yeah. <laughs> we like the pie in the sky. Because I yeah. used to be sort of a pie in the sky optimist, you know, back in the day. I was like, eh, you know, everything's I'm, great. I'm positively realistic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm okay dying today. Yeah. Like, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Frank, you're pie in the sky. Okay, am I pie in the sky? Okay, I'm pie in the sky. He's the yin to my yang on that. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, so I think that's I think that's when I really started thinking about healthcare disparities as a pressing issue, um, as a as a as a moral issue, you know, really, uh, because it's not right that my wife is alive because I I make money. It's just not. Yeah, it's it's hard. I think that people don't understand, especially physicians. I'm an NP or whatever. I was mm -hmm. the nursing model is different, but I didn't realize how many physicians were so loving and caring, and then also burnt out. Uh, I would mm -hmm. say like 90% are in it for the right reason. And then a lot mm -hmm. of them are burnt out due to the system sure. and there's no voice, there's no union, there's no nothing for physicians. And I feel really right. bad. Um, there are the 10% of physicians that should go away. Yeah, sure. Um, but 90%, I mean, genuinely want yeah. to make a difference and they're like, for what sure. do I do? Yeah. So that's one of the, that's one of the things that, um, that I've always been a little bit irked by um, certain, a lot of the other the other professions within medicine, like nurse practitioners or, or, uh, you know, you see your chiropractics or your naturopaths or whatever, they're not really in medicine, but they pretend to be, but all of them tend to have some sort of, yeah. some sort of claim to heart of a X brain of a doctor. And that always pisses me off so much because <laughs> being an, because I'm like, you know, they, they, they say, oh, well, we take care of the whole person, you know, and they lump doctors into this uncaring group of people who just wants to fuck you for your money and, and treat your symptom and get you out of their clinic. And I know that there are some people who are like that, but it was like, man, I gave my 20s to this. I gave everything yeah. to this and I am smart and I could have made a killing in business and marketing and sales and stuff like that. But I, I like people and I want people to be well. So that that line, brain of an ex, heart of a doctor, always, it just... It, it grabs my ass and twists it a little bit. I don't like it um, because I've got the I've, I've I've got the heart of a doctor. 
you know. Well, I'm a, like I said, I'm a nurse practitioner. I yeah. don't have half the training you do. And I always respect right. that. Uh, I, you know, we bring, I think all of us bring something different to the field, but physicians sure. were still what they are. They're the expert. They're the specialists. Like they're the ones sure. doing the melanoma research. And the reason why your wife's alive, it's not an mm. NP, it's not a PA. It's not. Well, those are mostly the, those are probably the, uh, the PhD eggheads. Oh, uh, well, still, they're thank good God, too. Thank they're God good too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank goodness sure. of the real scientists, but yeah. the real scientists. Real yeah. Smart guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I just think there needs to be like more of a voice for physicians because, you know, physician suicides on the rise. Yeah. Uh, physicians are being like, did you see the Minnesota Senator? Did you see that? He's oh, a you're Senator. Talking about I forget his name. No, that's Iowa. I know. I don't know who you're talking about. So there's a Minnesota Senator and he had a Facebook thing. He, the board is, there's a board complaint, which is anonymous. He's been a physician for 40 years. He's oh, also yeah. a Senator and they went after him. I'm not saying he said, he said something about COVID is flu type, right? But what he was saying was, is it, there's some similarities and sure. he has to defend himself. And the guy, like you could see it in his video, the pain he has because he gave his life to helping others. And like, right. it hurts me. Cause I'm just like, wow. It does suck, you know? And there's just, a, there's a few of us out there who they, they sort of, the, 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 there's a, a lot of us out there who seem to grab the headlines and the attentions who are the attention from people who, I mean, we've been sold out. The medical profession has been sold out time after time during this pandemic, you know, and it just takes one voice. You know, it takes those Bakersfield douchebags out there uh, who came out. It takes those people, uh, the, the, the witch doctor and the, all of the, the, and the Bakersfield boys were in that group of people too out there. And you see that and you give, you give these people who live a completely unscientific life and they, and they, they don't, they go by feelings and they're going to make anything thin. If you let one break, we're screwed. But the problem is, is you can't, you can't get a room full of doctors together and have them agree that the sky is blue. Uh -uh. Uh, so getting us, getting us united um, as far as something like this is going to be really challenging, you know, and there's groundswells, there's groups of doctors forming on Facebook and, and uh, this and that. Um, but how that actually creeps out into real, the real world, I don't know. Um, because I think we've lost a lot of, we've lost so much ground that I think there's just ground we're never going to get back. Well, you know? especially when we're, uh, we're in the public, we're led by uh, Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil, right? Sure. Nobody right. identifies with them in the medical profession. Mm -hmm. right? In the public eye, these are the, these are the, the men who speak for us. One of them's not even a doctor, like an, a medical doctor. And Dr. Right. Oz is Oprah's puppy, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, they got to fill the air, they got to fill the airwaves yeah. five days a week for an hour and you run out of like interesting medical shit to talk about, I guess. And so that's when you start bringing in the Reiki healers and all this other in the nutraceuticals and all this other pseudoscientific crap. Cause that's what pays the bills, right? People want, people don't really want to hear the basics. It's like, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to listen to that. The ultimate weight loss solution is a calorie deficit and the ultimate, you know, the way to stay healthy into your eighties is by moving and exercising because it sucks. It would be so much easier if I could get that out of a bottle or a pill. Um, and you can't, but the people who tell you, you probably can, that's who people want to listen to. They don't want to hear my bullshit. Yeah. It's, they want the, the quick, right? It took you mm -hmm. 30 years to get 50 pounds overweight and people want to sure. have it off in two weeks. Sure. A lifestyle change even if you're doing like i mean obviously with intermittent fasting with keto carnivore like mm -hmm. those have pretty good results but it's an it's a complete lifestyle change it's not a it problem. is and that's hard yeah 
Yeah, no, I've done, I did some intermittent fasting because I've, I, I, I kind of gain and lose the same 35 pounds over and over and over again, you know, and I'll, I'll get really on it and I'll do it. And, I, and once I'm into it, um, I'm, I do really well and I lean up and stuff. And then, uh, and then like the pandemic happened and I, w- I went on vacation right before the world lockdown. And so of course you don't stick with your, you don't stick with your routine when you're on vacation. And it's amazing, even though I had done my routine for eight or nine months, probably, it just, I came back home and it's been the same old bullshit, too much bourbon, uh, snacking into the nighttime, you know? Yeah. So I'm about to get on it again. I just got my back fixed. So I'm hoping I can, yeah. I can start to do some stuff again. Yeah. Frank, I think your mic was really low. I know you're trying to say something. Oh, no. I, uh, oh, it is low. I can barely hear you, Frank. I don't know. Did your volume get turned down? Can you hear me now? Worse. <laughs> Worse. Sign language. It goes your really plug all the, is, your, is your plug all the way in? It almost feels like you've oh, only got a partial plug. Well, some air here, Steve. You said uh, one thing I wanted to circle back to. You had said yeah. Biden wasn't even your eighth pick. Who was who yeah. your guy? Because me and Frank and Eric talk about that a lot. Who, who could have been? Yeah. So I had a few people that I kind of alternated back and forth with. I think in the end, I think I was kind of a Buttigieg guy. I like uh, Yeah, I like Mayor Pete. You know, I mean um, – but I'm also, I was also super ready for a person of color, uh, you know, and I could have been happy with plenty of the, plenty of the tops. I mean, if, as long as you get rid of that kook, Marianne Williamson, um, and uh, who else, but I liked, I liked Mayor Pete. I liked, uh, I certainly, I like Kamala. I like, uh, I like Cory Booker. Uh, I, was, I think he's I was a good dude. a Mayor Pete guy, but now like in retrospect, doing a lot more listening to his podcasts and listening, doing a lot more reading. We're, we're, we're part of the Yang gang. Are you a Yang guy? Yeah. yeah. So I never really got super, I never got super deep into him, but certainly he's got some good ideas. I but think, uh, I think the problem with him is that his universal basic income um, mm-hmm. got seen as this crazy Bernie Sanders. Socialism, that, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got seen as this crazy thing that it really wasn't. It was more that his idea was more to counteract the incoming artificial intelligence taking over the world right. sort of thing. And right. so when you put it in that perspective that, it makes sense because there's going to be a lot less jobs. and Yeah, you're right. Um, you know, and, and people freak out. It's like just because he got elected doesn't mean universal basic income was coming. You right. know, so a lot of times I like, you know, you like the people who like I voted for. It's funny because I pulled basically straight checker Republican my whole voting life until 2016. And I voted for Sanders, which was crazy. You talk about a freaking like whiplash, <laughs> you know, um, but and. Because I think if you leave a hardcore social democratic, you know, social democrat or what was he called, democratic socialist or whatever, um, like I, I don't think that any of the things or most of the things that he wants to talk about uh, would get passed because of the checks and balances that at least used to exist in our society. Um, but I, I'm interested in people who drive the conversation. So I'd be willing to listen to the conversation that Yang's having. Not that it would ever happen in his four years or eight years. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he was just on uh, Ezra Klein uh, two days ago. So if you want to listen to a really interesting one, he okay, uh, pretty good. Uh, Frank, yeah, can you hear me now? your mic, barely. Uh, we can <laughs> we can hear you really now. Uh-uh. Take your headphones what? out and just use your computer speakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unplug your speaker in general. Good, good call. Can you hear me now? I mean, it's still really low. That's super weird. Yeah, what the hell? This stupid five hundred dollar uh, <laughs> fucking laptop. Man. <laughs> Need a Mac. Like a little bit. 
No. It's super I mean, low. Frank, super I low. Did you? Did you? <laughs> whatever. We'll have to move on. <laughs> uh, let's let's go let's go to the the myths, man. The yeah. QAnons, the six percent COVID deaths. Let's set some stuff straight. Yeah. Yeah. What do you want? What do you want to set straight? Let's talk about this. The six percent. Explain it, because we I I've, so, I've been approached so many times, and and uh, I think you saw my analogy I give to people with the cliff and all that stuff. And yeah, like, for sure. Sometimes it doesn't. So you know, we, I started seeing that stuff pop up. Thankfully, I've you know I've been in pretty much lockdown since I've had back surgery, so I don't have people getting in my face too much. Though virtually they do sometimes. Um, but uh, this whole six percent thing. So the CDC revised their their death data last week, I guess, and um, the results basically showed that out of all the death certificates that had been filed uh, throughout this whole thing, only 6% of those death, death certificates, and correct me if I'm screwing this up, Brandon, uh, showed COVID as the only source of death. Right. Um, and so, of course, people, uh, the QAnon people, and basically anybody who has, a, who has an axe to grind immediately ran with this. I wouldn't be surprised if some of this didn't originate in Russia. And they took that data um, and they said, um, see, only 6% only of the people are actually dying of COVID. The rest are dying with COVID. And they deliberately obscure the fact that nobody in the public, other than physicians who fill out death certificates, have any idea what that really means. Um, and so they completely lied. What it really told me is that they most likely, the 6% um, actually that only listed COVID alone were probably filled out incorrectly. Uh, because or those are the you, scary cases where that- Well, they're scary. Healthy person the, that passed away just of COVID. Right, but COVID to me is like AIDS, right? Uh, so you don't die of AIDS, you die of the things that AIDS lets happen. So if they just listed COVID-19 as cause of death, they're not specifying whether they died of cardiomyopathy or, or in-stage respiratory failure, adult respiratory distress syndrome. So uh, it's basically just another lie and a manipulation of statistics, uh, which is super easy to do. I think it's real frustrating because I think for the first time in a large way, the, the uninformed American public is getting to watch us do science in real time. Mm -hmm. And and I have had so many people, like even nurses and stuff that I work with, because uh, I've got a lot of hardcore conservative nurses, and, they're, and they'll say, well, Sample, you said this in April, and now you're trying to say this? And I'm like, yeah, man, that's the way science works. You know, we didn't know then, we know now, if you want me to pick a side at the start of this fucking thing and stay on it, we're going to get, we're going to be wrong the whole way through. Yeah, I, I'm in your same boat there. Like when uh, this was still in China before Italy, yeah. I was telling everyone, oh, don't worry about it. This is just probably a, the next, you know, swine flu where we'll have a difficult yeah. flu and be all right. And then it hit Italy and then I was completely the other way, freaking out. Yeah, dude, I panicked. Yeah, I was in a full bunker like, like a What is wrong with you? You're total off the spectrum, and now I'm somewhere in the middle because I'm a normal human being. Right. Yeah, I, I, I went through a really – I started watching. My ears perked up uh, a little bit. When China locked down 100 million people, um, at the time they only had like 100 deaths, and I was like, what? Mm. I was like, China don't care that much about the individual, yeah. uh, and 100 people certainly isn't going to be on their radar. During that? Yeah. They lost yeah, like it's crazy. thousands of cell phone accounts. Yeah. 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 So it's crazy, man. Uh, so they, so that's when I kind of really perked my ears up, but then I was like, you know, yeah, I, I kind of did the same thing every other doctor was doing. we were like, you know, what's really dangerous, the fucking flu, get your flu shot, blah, 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 you know? Yeah. Um, and, um, and so I was kind of on that camp, but when I watched Italy start to burn, like I got, 
like, like I was freaked out. Cause I mean, I smoked for 25 years before I quit, you know, I'm 45, I'm not 25. Um, and I was like, well, I'm fucking dead. And I walked around. I mean, I, I really did. Like, I was like, if I get this, I'm fucked. Um, and, uh, and so now, but yeah, it's, it's really hard. And I described it early on, uh, to somebody, I was like, it is so hard to maintain the level of vigilance required to actually be good at this, you know, um, because you get vigilance fatigue. Um, like I, I described it, like when I was in Iraq and Afghanistan, I almost got blown up um, the second or third day in country when I was in Iraq. Um, we had gotten there and, and I was going to the dining facility for the first time. And we went in and I, I had to drop my, the guards wouldn't let me in the dining facility because um, because I had a backpack on and I didn't know early on in the war, somebody detonated a backpack bomb in the middle of a dining facility and killed a bunch of people. So no more backpacks. Uh, it's like the TSA. Um, but so I dropped it off at my buddy's trailer um, and walked back to the dining facility. And as soon as we got our food, we sat down and we heard the, you know, the sirens went off and it was incoming, incoming. And we hit the floor. And I mean, it felt like our cap, it, it, we thought the cafeteria was going to come down the top of our heads. Uh, and of course I had never, I mean, I, I did not plan on joining the military. I, did, I was not like a, Hooah, let's go get them guys. And I was like, holy fucking shit, we almost just died. What the hell just happened? And we got over there and, and um, we got back after dinner and it turned out that mortar had landed directly where we had been standing outside of his hooch not five minutes before. Uh, so I walked around for a few days. Every time I heard a, a loud noise or a siren went off, you were like, well, fuck, this is it. You know, but then you live it for months. And by the end, you're on the you're on the rooftop watching them come in, you know, yeah, <laughs> smoking that, cigars. Can uh, you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah perfect. perfect. Yeah. Okay. So, um, man, thank you for your service, Matt. I wish I yeah, went no to worries. combat a bit, um, but I didn't get a chance. So um, Winston Churchill was famous for that, actually, during the Blitzkrieg. He, he got mm -hmm. to the point where he would literally just watch the bombs at night because you can only be fearful so long. It's just right. like with COVID, we have to be reasonable, but at the same yeah. time, we, we can't shelter in place forever. It's just, it's just impossible. So yeah. Yeah. there is a happy medium and, and like, I can't imagine. I mean, when you see death and you're near, you have like, you laugh probably at fear, right? <laughs> like, you don't even <laughs> no, have he's, fear. He's like, he's making me a superhero. No, I do. No, I, no, look, I'm kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm just a dude, man. I mean, I got, I've got put into situations. I mean, I panic, you know, when I, when I see a, you know, the, the things that scare me the worst, um in life are, are really things you know either things that are out of my control uh but like when kids get sick i mean jesus oh. i had a kid i had a kid not too long ago it was a five month old kid and i thought this kid not five months not even uh and i thought this kid was going to die on me like mm -hmm. directly in that moment and nobody was ready the kid didn't have an iv and i wish you know a good emergency physician in my opinion would be the guy who goes all right take a breath slow your heart rate Shit, man, I looked at my watch afterwards. My heart rate was like 128, just standing there, you know? Uh, and I was like, I mean, I panic and freak out just like everybody else. I've got a little bit of anxiety at baseline, just kind of a lot of nervous, hyperactive energy. But would, uh, you, would you say that, okay, so you have fear because you care, but you don't have fear yeah. of silly things. Like people have a no. lot of fear of like, man, 80% of things we worry about never happen. Yeah. You know, it's like, there's kind of a balance probably, right? With I don't know. Experience. You know, I, I tend to... I tend to plod through shit. I, I do. I tend to, like I said, I'm a, I can be a fun sucker. So I can actually <laughs> predict to you uh, what's going to go wrong. You can't suck the fun out of me, man. Try. <laughs> Try. <laughs> There's no way. He's like pathologically positive, Steve. Yeah, man. Awesome, man. Yeah. I wish I could be. I, I really, I miss that. 
like I missed that, you know, and I think that, I think that that's just kind of a, just kind of a, just kind of how life took you. You know, I spent a lot of years fairly depressed uh, because when I left Nashville, uh, I, I resented, I resented everyone and everybody that kept me from Nashville, including my, myself and my wife and, and things, because I was like, I was good. You know, I turned off the radio in 19, shit, 95. And I don't, I, I, if I listen to music, it's shit from that era or older. Like I turned off the radio. Like I was, I think I, I was probably more clinically depressed than anything. And I just, I'm, I was too proud to seek out therapy or help or anything. Mm-hmm. So I just sh- shouldered through. And I think that living years in a depressive state, I think that sort of changes your outlook on life. Even when you, like, I don't feel depressed now, but I think it changed the way I approached the world. Uh, Cause I was pretty, I was pretty fucked up for a good while. Wouldn't, um, did that have. stimulate your creativity though as well? Maybe? Like, no, it, I, no, I think no? it snuffed it. I, no, was I think the opposite? it snuffed it a lot. Oh. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think it was. I think it really kind of snuffed my creativity. Like I was literally, and you know, because I left, I left music, um, and then I went directly into into married homeowner of a little 900 square foot house with a pregnant wife, uh, and then I started back to college full time. Um, and so, and I, and I was throughout college, I you know I was 15 to 18 credit hours a semester, but I also worked six nights a week. The uh, the only night I didn't work a week was Monday nights. They were I worked in a dinner theater, slinging slinging uh slinging brownie supremes at intermission and dancing and singing before the shows um but um and just waiting tables and stuff but so i was gone like i spent those four years of return to college just completely completely wiped out completely tired completely demoralized then i got into med school um and if anything i mean it it's it's the least just as bad and then then i had two kids at the time you know and my wife resented the shit out of me i mean we we had lots of trouble early on uh she resented me. I was absent. It was I wasn't absent like because of the way some people are absent, but it doesn't matter. Your your lack of presence is felt, you know. So yeah. from the time we from the time we said I do until the time my kids were teenagers, I was gone. I mean, you know, I was a guiding hand for my children and this and that. But my wife, man, she deserves all the credit in the world. She did everything. All those little day-to-day nuggets, the to and from schools, the the homework, the backpacks, the making sure they're clean. I did none of none. What brought you out of it? None. Huh? What brought you out of that? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know. I mean, I, some days I wonder if I am still fully out of it, you know? Um, you know, and my wife points out that I'm, yeah, I can be. Yeah, I can. Uh, but yeah, my wife and I struggled a lot uh, because of that. And, and, you know, I think it started, we both had a lot of resentments towards each other. She was mad at me because I was gone. And then I was mad at her because I didn't feel like she was being an appropriately supportive wife. And then, and so you build these resentments and they sort of drive you up and every, and we fight by going to our corners. We don't fight. We don't fight by just addressing the issue, moving on. We go to our corners and suck our thumbs like babies for a few days, you know, and, and, and stuff. So very passive aggressive uh, that way. Uh, so, but I don't know. I think that, I think just over the years, we just sort of have figured out I think she's figured out that there are certain things that I suck at, you know, and I figured out that there are certain things as a wife that I would like for her to act in a certain way that she's not gonna. Um, and you have to make that decision. Are we going to drive on? We've got 23 years of history. We've got amazing kids. We've got all this shit we've built, you know, or do you not? And we've decided to drive on, you know, so, uh, but she's, she deserves a ton of credit. She's done everything. 
I think something I noticed is that you're really open-minded. So even though you're very um, opinionated, I mean that in a good way, you're, you're, you feel confident enough to say something sure. that in a tough climate we're in right now, right? Cancel mm -hmm. culture is a tough time to have the confidence sure. to say something. Um, yeah. But you're also open-minded and empathetic about it. Like that's the way to be. Like, I, I just really appreciate that. So. No, no, thank you. Yeah, no, I, I just, I, I have thought about, you know, people have asked me if I've done therapy before. And I actually went to a, I went to a counselor at one point, one time. Um, but, um, and she told me when we got in there, she goes, you are in your own self-analysis where it would normally take me a year to get to. So I, I'm fully aware of my flaws and I will speak to them because I know a lot of people don't want to. And I've got gross shit in my head, man. You know, like I'm not nice all the time. Like I'm not, you know, I have bad thoughts and, and, and stuff. So, um, and I think that if you let people know that that's okay, it's okay to have these gross opinions. You know, the same thing when we talk about even things in, in modern day, like, like race bias and, and religious bias and, and all this stuff that we're kind of fighting with as a culture. Um, like, I think it helps to drive the conversation if you'll go, yeah, I've got some bias. Like I, I have, I mean, we all do in, unless, you know, I, I don't know how you don't have some degree of bias in some natural knee jerk reaction. But the beauty of it is, is you can recognize it and, and change your shit. You know, you can change the way you respond to your knee jerk reaction. Um, and that's what I'm trying to get people to do. I, I think. I think you're doing a good job of it. I think that, you know, for me, for example, something like a lot of these are complex problems and they're complex yeah. answers, but first realizing that there is a problem and realizing that, you know, like we're all white guys, right? Yeah, and a lot of problems right. come from white people, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. And when you For when sure. you actually just recognize that really quick and go, hey, how can we get better? But to 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 dig deeper in the sand and build a bigger line, it, yeah. it doesn't go anywhere. So right. that's the part that's hard is like, you know, there is pro there are problems. Let's realize yeah. and let's just move on, you know, and get better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I get in fights with people around here all the time because around here it's all white. I mean, really almost all white. There are, there is a Hispanic community nearby. There's a lot of, uh, dare, or there's a lot of farms and uh, poultry factories around here and stuff. So lots of, uh, immigrants kind of South of town. Uh, but our high school is Lily freaking white, man, you know? Right. And, uh, and so a lot of the issues that are going on and that we're, we're speaking of, they don't really even speak to the people around here. So when I bring it up to people around here, the, the plight of the American, the African-American in America is so far off their fucking radar. Like it, it, it might as well be the life on Mars because they don't know any black people. Like there's a few, like there was four black kids in the high school when my daughter was there. And uh, three of them, I think were Haitian. They were adopted by an OMFS guy who's the richest dude in town, you know? Yeah. So they were not living the traditional black experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, but, so they're tired of hearing about this shit. They just don't want to hear about it because it's not their life. And they're like, yeah. how is, so we have all these conversations. How am I responsible for blah, blah, blah. I'm poor. And, you know, I had a white doctor. We got an argument at work one night. I had a white doctor tell me that white men in America, and he said this unironically, that we are the most oppressed group of people in the, plant, on the, in the country right now. And he believes that. It is, it is something that has been planted in his head. And I was like, so what we did 
is we we got in an open argument in the middle of the emergency department about this, and then we and then we uh, then we agreed to disagree. We went and we both got into our seventy thousand dollars sports cars and drove home to our lake houses. <laughs> you know, and I was like, and I was like, I was like, I was like, what the fuck, man? I was like, you're yeah. you're getting ready to go get in your sports car and drive home to your lake house, and you want me to buy your oppressed act because because you know, and his whole deal was well, maybe back in maybe back in med school, if I had applied to med school, that I could have gotten like beat out by an affirmative action, you know, higher. So you, I understand where the, the, the it comes from, but it just, it just speaks to a lack of depth and it, like a lack of like, let, well, let's go back a little further and see what that means. It, it's just hard for people. People don't want to yeah, do that shit. Yeah, yeah, not everything's a competition, right? So like right. there's this competition to see who is the most oppressed. How about there's just our oppressed people and <laughs> let's, let's make them better. Like um, these, these complex problems, man, there's so many simple, I think simple answers yeah. that could help. I'm not saying it's a complete answer, but it's something, a direction we can go. And Absolutely. just research, it's not hard, it's on Google research and find out why marijuana is illegal it was literally right. yeah. to blacks and latinos because it was propaganda and when you realize that and you go oh my god this is really disgusting let's change it <laughs> you know <laughs> instead of, we yeah. i find that most people are not terribly self-introspective uh -huh. um and and I, so you know i always tell my wife i was like if i come at you with a with a, a fully formed opinion and i tell you i know the way something i believe something should be i if i come to you with that i'm usually not just winging it it is usually something that i've played around with in my head i've done some reading uh and i've tried to figure out well how do i feel about this now so i've had a, a completely evolving uh, position in my life on issues of gay marriage and and you know affirmative action and and things like that and i have become more and more liberal uh to those as i grow older and i have more experience and i think just more wisdom uh, now are you are you optimistic at all like about our, our future a bit or i know that you said something i called you out on jack by the way because you said trump's like saddam and something else like Gaddafi. No, i said he was, I was like yeah, hey man oh yeah on. was that you that called me out <laughs> yeah no, i called I you saying, out <laughs> i i'm not terribly optimistic frankly I, yeah. i'm not I, like i have lost a lot of that like i feel like I feel like that ultimately when it comes down to it, we are tribal um, and we are meant to be tribal and our tribal nature is what let us survive initially as a civilization. And I think that it's what's gonna take ours down. Now, you know, I don't think that it's gonna happen. Well, get, get back with me after election day. I don't know how fast it's gonna happen, uh, but I think that the seeds are already being set because people, people tend to think that, that, that America is inevitable. Like we haven't already broken the odds. Like our empire is due to fall, you know? And the, the fact that people think it's just inevitable, um, I think that they're wrong. Uh, and I think that just, but I think it's gonna be a death by a thousand cuts. I think it's gonna be these tiny little shifts unless we have a big, I think we have to have a big course correction. And I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do it in the way the, in the way we're set up now with gerrymandered districts and and um, the way I mean I just saw a thing the other day that said for Biden to have a to to guarantee well for him to guarantee an electoral college victory he's got to win to give him to 75 percent he's got to win like four percent of the like he's got to win by four points like he can't just win the popular vote we've already proven that a couple of times recently he's got to win by like four points to have a 75 percent chance and to have a hundred percent chance of winning he's got to win by almost like 10 points like what now, the hell can i be devil's advocate yeah, for please. so with the left that I, I like a lot of progressive stuff so what what bothers me a little bit is the lack the little bit lack of law and law and order the the riots and mm -hmm. protests i understand people yeah. are angry i just do you just think it's a lesser of two evils type of thing or what what's your take? i don't 
I think I think it's really unfortunate because I think that in 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 modern discourse you can't have a nuanced discussion uh, because yeah clearly this can't this can't happen uh, but you can't have you know and I play into the into the problem I get on these news sites I mean I think my longest appearance was like seven minutes and that mm -hmm. felt like an hour um, I bet but but uh, when it comes down to this. Like, I understand why they rage. I understand why they tear shit up. And some people just want to see the world burn. But it, you can't do that. But now we have to pick a side, right? So you either have to be on the side of screw the Black Lives Matter movement, or you have to be on the side of burn it all down. Like, you can't have this nuanced discussion. We're not having it publicly. So it's so easy for me. And I've had people accuse me of that. You, know, well, you think it's okay for them to do this? And I'm like, clearly I don't. I was like, but you see the one, you know, you see the 50 or 100 guys up there stirring shit up and breaking windows. And what you're not seeing is the 100,000 people behind them who are marching with their signs and asking to be heard. Um, yeah. And I don't know how you, I don't know how you thread that needle anymore, especially since we've become so, you know, internet bite. I mean, you know, I, I wrote an op-ed, I turned, my friend asked me to turn my pen tweet. If you look at my pen tweet, that's my, that's my mental health story with the military. I turned it into like an op-ed and I was going to send it in. And she's a, she's a writer. Uh, she did columns and she was like shrink that to 600 words and I was like I tried I got it down to like 1100 but I was like if I shrink it to 600 I'm not telling you it's not the like same you, story I, I can't well I can't get the story you're not hearing mm -hmm. the story yeah. yeah you know and she said but research has proven if it's over 600 words people don't read it they scroll, I, they scroll by yeah but there's new mediums right so podcasts yeah. are booming uh Joe Rogan sure. just signed a hundred million dollar contract like Things are changing. I'm, I have to yeah. be optimistic. It's just the way I am. Yeah. Uh, sure, I think that's good. Plenty of people that are that are negative. We need <laughs> so, optimists, man. If we I, didn't have optimists, we'd all just cover up and wait to die. Yeah, know? we'd all just burn yeah. everything down. But yeah, I'd like. Yeah. I'm like, it's burning, so I'll get marshmallows. You know, I'm like, well, <laughs> there you go. You know, there you go. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think this, well, me... this, like what you guys were talking about with Steve, the the, the two sides, right? That, I think that's one of the big reasons why I feel like we have peaked as a society. Have, I feel like we've yeah, yeah we have this this cesspool of social media where you can't have civil discussions because everybody thinks they're the smartest person in the room and their opinions yep. matters sure guilty uh, yeah I mean I, yeah, yeah. I've, honestly, I've been guilty of that as well but sure people like you and me because I, I think we're cut from the same similar cloth is like I'm open to learning things that um, yeah. maybe I you know I got wrong whereas a lot of people aren't and so that's yeah. what just furthers this divide that unfortunately our president is is guilty of as well but so is the left side as well like just continuing this divide of hate so i, mm -hmm. I just hope that whoever the fuck wins this election whether we have four more years of trump or four years of biden it's literally just take a step back heal don't do anything yeah. else but heal this for that, you right that's exactly that's exactly where i am you know and the progressives have got to get off their fucking high horse because the people who are going to deliver this election back to trump are not the republicans it's going to be it's going to be our side you know, it's going to be the purists who demand ideal, ideological purity and an immediate, you know, they want an immediate course change to universal health care and to universal, all the stuff that progressives want. They want it right fucking now or they're going to hold you hostage. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Bernie, Bernie had a, you know, Bernie had a huge wave of support, but and they didn't vote for Hillary. Like they got to vote. Like all yeah, these kids that are I in was the street, if they don't vote. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you you were a Bernie fan. Was I was I was Bernie. Uh, I'm 31, yeah. so I was a Bernie bro. Yeah. And and Bernie actually has let me down a lot when you actually follow what he's done. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm a Tulsi Gabbard fan. I'm also a Dan Crenshaw fan. There's a movement for both of them. 
there's there's yeah. a movement for both of them kind of combined i'm not saying they're perfect but like out of the mess of the people like if you put them together somehow let's break up these parties like that's what i yeah. want i just want the whole thing right. like well, Andrew Yang just yeah. came out with term limits and it was a it's an actual proposal of how it would work i don't know if you have you right. heard it i haven't seen it so uh-huh. the concept is this is that you're if you're in congress right now you are grandfathered in but the new Congress have term limits. So he said that that's the only way it would pass because these old dinosaurs that have been in there forever that are you know, deep rooted inside, they're not gonna let go of that power, right? And they shouldn't have that power. But I think term limits is a good movement. I think understanding that the greed behind the system sure. is, is gonna eat itself. Like you can only you be so Congress. Yeah. You shouldn't, yeah, like, right. I don't know. But you also shouldn't have to be rich to be a Congress person. No, you know, that's too. the thing. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. It takes so much money. Because I've thought about, I've been asked a, a couple of times to get into politics and and things like that, and I've thought about it, um, and I just don't know. You know, like right off the bat, like they were like, "Oh, you should run against uh, Larry Bouchon, uh, which is a cardiothoracic surgeon who's a Republican in my district. He's our rep. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's out of a city about an hour away, and he's full Trump train, like full Trump train. Uh, and well, Mike Braun, yeah, and Mike Braun is our senator. Um, and he is from my hometown. He is from here. He owns actually. Can you see the buildings across the uh, yeah. across the lake over there? So those are some of his warehouses. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a multi-zillionaire uh, business owner from here, and he's full Trumper. Um, and they're like, you should run against one of them. And they're like, could you be less atheist? And I was like, <laughs> no. No, it's just who you are. I was like, I was yeah. like, I will not compromise before I ever even consider my fucking run, yeah. you know, because you have to compromise in places. Yeah. I'm like, but I'm not I'm not going to not be me. And I, and honest to God, I've got I've got kind of a thin skin to criticism. So I, I, I would love I think I would love to be a politician. But I think that I don't I don't know if I could take the dirty fighting, man. Like, I like everybody to be nice. Like, I really want to yeah. have I want to have nuanced conversations about an issue. I don't want to throw rocks at each other yeah you're not con- it's not, it's you're not, not my you're jam kind of conflict averse is that what you talk about when you when you debate your wife I am, very you much opposite very corners? much very yeah. much i hate okay. conflict makes me uh want to vomit i think like, i'm gonna run you, someday yeah are you I, maybe until i start crying in the corner because they start picking on me and i'm like oh man i'm not that tough no frank I <laughs> yeah all the time. You just you're all right yeah yeah no i i i I would like i think i would like it but then if you look at what the average day in the life of a congressperson is like they spend over half their time raising funds and and call and you know they have these phone banks right across the street from capitol hill and their aides are always dragging them over to make phone calls to rich donors and beg them for money and it's like fuck like i I don't like that like like, i don't like it like i don't want to do that like i i I don't i don't want to be a whore i don't want to be anybody's whore you know well you're the hospital's whore right now how do you feel about that well yeah <laughs> i'm just kidding you're a high oh, class it's like pretty woman it's a little different high dollar baby yeah, yeah high dollar yeah. Mink, mink stole and richer gear for sure <laughs> snap, snap your fingers in the diamond uh, the diamond ring case yeah for sure yeah so, so i know you gotta get going you got another yeah, thing no worries man wanted to uh just get your opinion on what you think's gonna happen uh this fall covid coronavirus the economy uh, i know something dear to someone dear to me just got covid and i, I almost lost oh, no. my Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Oh uh, yeah, dude, I love the Rock. Man. <laughs> oh, he got the, it. I watch the Titan Games every week. That's a great freaking show. Yeah, he's he's positive. So is his whole family. Yeah, his whole family. Yeah. Give us thoughts of, of the fall this winter, and then we'll get you going to your your uh, big news interview. So I think this fall is. Go- I think it's going to go one of two, a couple of ways. Like I, I know that they're talking about getting a uh, 
a vaccine by election day, which I feel is a touch optimistic. Uh, I feel like it's like so grossly optimistic that everybody should be able to see through it. Um, yeah, let me pause but, on uh, that. So yeah. I am actually bringing a COVID kind of PPE sort of deal um, med device to mm. market, right? And yeah, that's what uh, you said. that has taken since April, May, like I can't imagine how many hoops you have to jump through, through it for an actual vaccine to get yeah. Like any fast well, this, this. I mean, clearly they're clearly they're going to shove this down. I mean, I think the fastest vaccine prior to this one was what four years, and it was the mumps. I think it was the mumps vaccine. Yeah. Um, but uh, right. you know, I mean, they're just they're still enrolling phase three right now. I mean, my friend, you know, they're still enrolling, and so certainly they will have some data by the fall. But they also have to create, you know, six hundred million doses. Uh, and if they don't roll this out right, I'm afraid that even pro-vaxxers like me are, you know, people are going to be looking at this funny, you know, it's like, I don't want to get an injection if I don't know it works. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's almost like, now they say that Europe, Europe is a little further ahead of us than studying it. And if European data is good, you know, I'm happy to trust the European data so long as it's presented and it's open and, How could they be and that stuff. Ahead? It's all the same time. I don't know. I know. I know. It's all bullshit, man. But I mean, this is all a political, yeah. a political show. Uh, but, uh, so I, I don't know how this is going to be. I'm, I'm certainly think it's going to suck to be an ER doctor during the fall. Um, especially when we can't tell the difference between, between the flu and Corona because both the tests suck. Uh, though I just, I did see something today saying the salivary test may actually be much more sensitive than the, uh, yep. than the nasal. So that'd be nice if we get yeah, a bunch of those. Israel has that almost instantaneous salivary one that's looking really mm -hmm. good. Yeah, so I'm hoping that we get to a position where we can test everybody a time or two a week. That would be nice, and so that we can mostly open back up. Uh, I hope that people get their flu shots, um, so that you know there's less of that. And I hope the flu shot freaking works this year. Yeah, and they say that the flu season has been pretty mild everywhere else because of the social the distancing and, and the mask wearing we're doing. Is you know I'm sure that there's less. I mean, I, I just I was reading somebody online the other night, and they said my God, I haven't taken care of a kid with an ear infection in months. And I haven't either. Like, I don't think I've seen a single kid with an ear infection in like four or five months. I can't remember. You know, some of those get peeled off into urgent care and, and things like that. But it's been nice. Yeah, uh, I've seen a lot less kids. But uh, from the politics world, from the politics world, I, I, I go from being optimistic. And I think that uh, Biden is going to humiliate Trump. Um, and then the, the very next day, I'll wake up and I'll think that uh, we're going to lose our asses. Uh, yeah, because... Huh? Real Steve comes through and then, uh, yeah, the, 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 the freaking pessimist. Well, I just, you know, I just see the way people fall for bullshit. Yeah. People want to hear what they want to hear. And, and, and that includes you and I, I'm sure, but you know, certainly people who, who speak my language are, I'm going to hear them a little more, but, um, the, some of this is so transparent. It's like, it's not even subtle. You know, they say he's the best salesman of all time. And I'm like, I don't know how the fuck he's the best salesman of all time because all the bullshit he's selling you, it, like, it's clearly just, it's clearly a lie. Like, very, I would think a good salesman was veil. a good liar. Very thinly. It's very thinly veiled. And so it turns out we just don't look that deep. No. So, so I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Get back with me in December. We'll talk, <laughs> we'll talk it out. I'll hold you but uh, yeah, anytime, man. I'm just sitting on my ass. I, I work and I, I stay home. So... There's nothing to do where I am in Indiana, like down in the right there. There's nothing. I mean, there's nothing here to do anyway. I, when when the economy was open, there wasn't much to do, and now there's zero. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah, well, I better go set up for the news. Nah, no, please, guys. It was good to talk to you. 
Yeah. Yeah, man. Thank you for coming on. And uh, I love you on Twitter. We have like 20 followers, so we're trying to grow yeah, there. Nice. Would you go to Shakes? Started, started like three weeks did, ago. I, did I follow you? I don't know. We probably not. Three weeks ago, so we're we're kind of a little fledgling account at this point. But yeah, man. No worries. We're trying. No worries. I find I find that that's the I, I like Twitter much better than the other the alternate forms of social media. I like Twitter uh, too. I find my, I think because you can curate a little easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you can see who you want to see, and then there's always that chance if you if you do something right where something can actually like strike strike something and actually go big. Yep. Uh, you know, my first my first uh, my first tweet that went viral like i went from i think i had like 600 followers and then um in the end i think something like 6.3 million people have read my pen tweet um and um and so i went i woke up the next day with like 7,000 followers and this and that so it, like it never feels as good now my daughter's like holy crap 500 people liked something you said and i was like 500 <laughs> i was like i don't get out of bed for less than 20,000 no, you know, so, yeah so no it's fun it, it keeps my thumbs busy because i'm adhd as, as hell so i can keep the tv on and just yeah you know Steve, I, I think we're the same person just maybe many years apart yeah just i'm way older oh man i know this light this lighting is showing all this shit no you got you got more hair than i do so you're good yeah yeah that's the only thing i haven't lost man all right my daughter's hollering at me i better get All right, out of enjoy here. enjoy family All life right. enjoy the interview yeah thanks guys i appreciate later, the time man. yep see ya that was man awesome. that was awesome yeah yeah he uh he's yeah he's a cool guy man i i, I just appreciate him even more now that you actually get to know him a bit and like realize how creative he is and and yeah i wanted to ask him uh, it, it didn't come back up organically because he kind of moved on but what his uh creative outlets were nowadays since he's not doing music oh yeah because yeah. he's that guy that has to have i have it i don't really talk about it but i have a lot of them what do you what do you do uh well you know the woodworking stuff but i, I do a lot of writing. Oh, okay yeah writing that that's why you write right is that why like for the well like it comes out is well, that because yeah, you do yeah. that they knew I liked that beforehand. So, but yeah, I do mm. creative writing stuff. Yeah. I love creativity. I think business has actually been really fun with the podcast and the business. Like, I just think it's creative. It's a different way. I can't draw. So I thought, I draw for shit. yeah, me neither, dude. I thought I was not artsy. Then I was like, Oh, I am just in a different way. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, man, that guy is, he's a stud and he's in Indiana, which I don't know why he stays there, but he must like part of it. Well, I mean, it's home, but they, home. Indiana- pays really really well for er docs it's oh the, does it one of the highest paid states i wonder why is that just a need thing like supply and demand probably of some sort apparently yeah uh, because i remember on, you know going to residency in michigan they they sent some kind of recruiting docs out to have dinners with us to get us over there and it looked good financially and i know they, they actually really? stole a few, not stole but they hired away a few of our residents uh to go there yeah i mean I, i'd be happy pretty much anywhere so <laughs> i should go to indiana <laughs> but, uh, i gotta go see the kids cool man well thanks for thanks for that it was a good podcast yeah signing off all right thank you for tuning in to another can't miss episode of just a couple dudes or jacked podcast we're new on twitter so please give us a follow at at jakd pod on instagram you can follow us at jakd underscore podcast and we have a new youtube channel set up at just a couple dudes and that's couple with a k We also have a website, jakdpod.com, with a new store set up where you can check out our merch and other fun items that we're going to be putting up. So please give us a follow, check out our website, and tune in for the next podcast that we'll be releasing shortly. Thanks.
Welcome to the Jack Podcast, where real men are allowed to cry.